Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Cowboy Chronicles, the Oklahomans, Oklahoma State football podcast coming to you post-game after Oklahoma State's 34-16 the loss in Bedlam. As always, the Cowboy Chronicles is presented by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. I am your host of the Cowboy Chronicles, Scott Wright. Joined by Jacob Unruh and Jenny Carlson, y'all. It was uh, it was one of those nights when things were really close to uh, to breaking through for Oklahoma State, but just never quite got over the hump. Uh, a lot of moments that you felt like the the big play was coming, or uh, or that they needed it and got close to it, but couldn't uh, couldn't finish out. Uh, whether it was a drive or a, a, a you know just a, a momentum shift or whatever it was. Um, a lot of things to talk about in this one, but uh, I want to begin with Chuba Hubbard. Jenny, of course, you uh, you wrote about the Oklahoma State running back who rushed for 104 yards, his 10th straight 100-yard game, uh, over 1,900 for the season, the second-best season in Oklahoma State history from a running back in terms of rushing yardage behind Barry Sanders, of course. Uh, but, Jenny, uh, a, a solid start. But uh, but Oklahoma seemed to to find the answer to what uh, to what Chuba Hubbard and the Oklahoma State offense were trying to do. Yeah, for sure. You know, you look at the first three drives Oklahoma State had, and Chuba Hubbard's got 75 yards on those first three drives. Uh, you know, really good start for him. I think he was averaging over eight yards a carry at that point. And then the very last possession of the first half, Oklahoma looked to really crowd the line, brought their safeties down, um, basically just cut off those running lanes as soon as Chuba Hubbard tried to hit him and you saw it right away he carried the ball in the first two plays of that drive had three yards and one yard and it just looked different you just saw a lot more um, just a lot more bodies around the line of scrimmage at that point and from then on out it was tough sledding for Chuba Hubbard it was you know as I mentioned 75 yards on the first three possessions Oklahoma State had so then he only gets 29 the rest of the night. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a difference maker right there when you're talking about the, uh, the way that Chuba Hubbard can impact the game. Oklahoma basically said, hey, Oklahoma State, you're going to have to beat us throwing the ball. Drew Brown was fairly effective but did not really stretch the field like Oklahoma State has done offensively so often when they've been at their best. Just didn't have that downfield vertical passing game that we've seen, whether it was Spencer Sanders or uh, Taylor Cornelius or Mason Rudolph or back into you know the, the deeper uh, reaches of uh, Cowboy history. But that really seemed to turn the tide when Oklahoma realized that they could really get up on the line of scrimmage, slow down Chuba Hubbard, and uh, then when they get up by a couple scores, then it really starts to, to, to give them even more aggression. 
Yeah, then at that point, they didn't even really have to worry about things getting, uh, you know, they, they didn't have to worry about deep throws and, and suddenly having to react to it. Um, because even when Oklahoma State hit a couple of those there with um, Dylan Stoner and Braden Johnson, uh, Oklahoma still didn't didn't really back off at that point. They they, they felt like they had their uh, their recipe for success, and they uh, and they stuck with it and uh, and made sure that uh, that the best player on the field wasn't going to beat them. Yeah, absolutely. It's it was the sound strategy that when you saw that adjustment, you kept thinking they're going to throw it right. They're going to throw it. Yeah, and wasn't the case. Um, they did a good job, I thought, with Drew of getting him to move the ball a little bit more with his legs. Mm-hmm. But still, this isn't Spencer Sanders running the ball. Um, but you take Chuba out, no one's been able to do it, um, and that that really changed that game. Yeah. You know, I thought last week at West Virginia, we didn't see much in the the deep passing game. You know, and I'm not talking about. 60 70 yards I'm just I'm talking 30 yards 40 yards you know we didn't see much of that but I thought you know Drew Brown first start as a cowboy on the road you know maybe they're 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 you know condensing the playbook a little bit get him confident with some of that you know the intermediate stuff and and really feed that into bedlam and open up the playbook a little bit more I thought that was going to be really important to soften the Oklahoma defense and then when you know they weren't doing it and Chuba Hubbard was gashing Oklahoma that's when they rolled the dice and said all right Drew Brown let's see what you can do and he was I you know you guys have said it effective but just not enough to really force Oklahoma's hand defensively yeah I was I was kind of of the same thinking after after West Virginia that that there was more to it and we've seen some really nice deep throws from from Drew Brown he had one tonight to Dylan Stoner that uh, was just it was, absolutely beautiful. It was spectacular, but it just uh, just wasn't there. I know Mike Gundy talked about the one where um, he thought Stoner got held yeah. uh, on a uh, on a, a deep uh, a deep post route that um, there was kind of a uh, a game changing moment a little bit there, uh, but. Uh, you know, when it came down to it, I think uh, I think that drive early in the fourth quarter, where Oklahoma State was obviously they were in a little bit of desperation mode at that point, but they had to go for it. You know, in their own, I think it was around the thirty-yard line. On a, they went for it. On, they had I think third and two and gained one, and then had fourth and one and didn't get it. Chuba couldn't get it. Yeah, um, that sort of told the story of the night right there a little bit, because they had so many moments where they. Just needed uh, just needed one thing to, to go, whether it was Chuba Hubbard stepping out of a tackle or, um, you know, uh, a red zone conversion for a touchdown rather than having to settle for a short field goal or, uh, or uh, getting a turnover when, uh, when they desperately needed one. one. You know, one of those types of moments that, that could have uh, swayed some momentum. Just, uh, they just weren't coming. And... Uh, you know, Drew Brown has been. I think. Uh, I think this. Uh, his effort has been impressive, um, but obviously they just they, they they needed something more out of him tonight than uh, than than what he gave them. Whether it was uh, a play calling issue, a um, you know maybe they would have been better off trying to trying to run a little bit more up tempo, which he seemed comfortable in. Uh, I think I think sixty one plays is all they uh, all they ran tonight. 
maybe they needed some more uh, opportunities to try to uh, to try to get some deeper throws or uh, do some different things but it wasn't uh, wasn't there tonight overall Jacob would you say that uh, I mean I know a lot of Oklahoma State fans are upset with this uh, but in general it didn't feel like a, uh, a a hugely painful loss no I think um, there's a lot to take from the last half of the season yeah with OSU on this they 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 dramatically improved um, primarily defensively um, mm-hmm and you have Chuba Hubbard that, you know, you've obviously got to be pleased with his output this season, but the defense is growth and the defense I didn't think was really that bad tonight. They just didn't ever come up with that big play or that big stop. Yeah. Um, but they didn't get gashed either. It just was just kind of a, a blah night. Maybe. Yeah. It, it, maybe that's how you classify it. I'm not sure, but, but I think you can look at the last half of this and go, well, they won four straight games coming into this. Um, you've got to be pleased with how they finished overall. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, you're right, Jacob. I think it was kind of a more pedestrian night for the defense. Not, I mean, not great, obviously, if you, you know, do a few more things, maybe you win the game. But, you know, I mean, Oklahoma has shown itself capable of scoring a lot more than they did tonight. So to keep them at that 34 mark is not is not terrible. Um you know, obviously, a um, you know, I do. I think, I think that there was, you know, hope that maybe that the defense could could come up with some stops. You know, they've been very opportunistic, and Jalen Hurts has been very gracious with his giving of the ball <laughs> in recent weeks. Um, I think I even told you guys at one point after the game, I kept kind of thinking in my head, "All right, this is where Hurts has turned it over before." You know, there were those moments during the game when. If you've watched Oklahoma at all in the last few weeks, you know, just sort of unexpectedly he would turn it over or throw it to the other team, and he didn't do that uh, in this game. Really played within himself in a way that we hadn't seen him do that in a while, but um, you kept thinking that Oklahoma State's defensive abilities to take it away and his willingness to give it were going to kind of meet up at some point and you might have that big turn, and, and that didn't happen either. But, you know, I, I don't necessarily feel like there was a – you know, there wasn't wasn't like a um, losing sixty one to thirteen or something like that. You know, defense played decently. The offense just never quite got that spark that you thought. You know, who knows? Maybe if if Sanders is available or Wallace is available or they have one of those guys that got hurt is is healthy. Maybe it's a whole different thing offensively. We'll never know. Um, but that was – Scott, I know you wrote about settling for field goals instead of touchdowns. That was really – that was that was problematic for the Cowboys tonight. Yeah, yeah, it was. The, um, the opportunities that they had, particularly early, and not being able to capitalize when they could have been trying to match Oklahoma score for score at that point – or you know when they held for a field goal and then uh, and then couldn't do anything with it, uh, turn the ball over, those sorts of things were um, were really critical in, in swinging the momentum. You I know, I, go ahead, Jake. I, I was gonna say I think that last possession right at halftime mm-hmm. was kind of a killer because they had yeah. that big play to get down there. Uh, they had a chance to get in the end zone with plenty of time, all three timeouts. They couldn't punch it in. They had to settle for a field goal as time expired on the half, and you would think that's momentum. But it felt a little more deflating than it did like it was going to be a spark. Right. 
It, it absolutely did, and it was a, a you know a ten point deficit. They had a chance to cut it to the three, and then get the ball to start the second half. I think is a uh, a big change, a big difference in uh, in being down a touchdown when you come out of the locker room, even though you're uh, you're getting the ball back. So, I want to talk some more about the defense. Uh, talk about uh, a couple other things. Some uh, talk a little uh, bold projection. Uh, talk about the uh, the odd ending to the game. Uh, yeah. The game. Game-ending injury. I've never seen one of those before. So uh, we'll get into that and some other things. Coming back back on the Cowboy Chronicles presented by Zaxby's. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back on the Cowboy Chronicles, presented by Zaxby's. I am your host, Scott Wright, joined by Jacob Underwood and Jenny Carlson. I mentioned before the break the odd ending to the game. And, um, you know, a lot of fans in the stands um, may have heard the announcement from uh, referee uh, Reggie Smith. Um, Those who were watching on TV did not get an explanation because I went and tried to listen to the TV broadcast to to try to figure it out for myself. Because in the press box, I could not hear the explanation from Reggie Smith. Uh, The TV announcers talked right over it had no idea and all of a sudden everybody was just walking off the field so they were lost they I might was have standing on the near the end zone and didn't even hear the announcement and everyone's walking off the field i was right. confused it was uh it was bizarre i i was able to catch it on the uh, the osu radio broadcast and hear exactly what happened so so uh oklahoma has the ball with 48 seconds left at the end of a play uh, that would have left the clock running they, they stopped the clock because of an injury to colby harvell peel uh, took a little while for them to check him out and and, uh, and help him off the field, uh, but in that situation, in uh, that late in the game, a defensive injury on a running clock requires a 10-second runoff by rule, and so that took the clock from 48 seconds left to 38 seconds left. Still a running clock, so the clock was going to start on their whistle uh, or on their uh, on their signal. And it uh, would have been a 40-second play clock with only 38 seconds left. So Oklahoma would not have had to snap the ball unless Mike Gundy had opted to use a timeout, which he, uh, he still had some. I think all three, in fact. Um, but obviously Gundy did not opt to call timeout. And rather than just make the guys go stand out in the field and watch 38 seconds run off, the, uh, the official Reggie Smith just announces that the game is over. Oklahoma wins. It was exactly how he said it. it was It was really uh, an odd <laughs> an odd ending to a to a game. So I feel like he gave just as detailed an explanation as Reggie probably did. Yeah, I, I think my explanation okay. took about two minutes, which is about how long his was. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So for those who missed it, that's uh, that, that's what that's what went down there at the end of the game. But uh, uh, getting into uh, the, the Oklahoma State defense again, um, I I looked at the stats and I thought. Man, Jalen Hurts didn't really hurt him all that bad. Um, you know, 163 passing yards, 13 of 16 throwing, had the uh, the touchdown. Uh, 
rushed the ball 16 times for 61 yards. He also did have the four-yard touchdown reception, uh, becoming only the second OU player to do that in a game, have a rushing, receiving, and passing touchdown in the same game, which is uh, which is pretty wild. But He's a one-man show, I was told. That's what I've heard. Yes. Um, <laughs> But so, but so all of that, I did. You know, it didn't feel. That's not crazy numbers. The TDs is it's a cool, a cool fact. Um, but uh, the numbers themselves didn't seem that overwhelming. However, to Gundy's point, you add up his rushing attempts, his passing attempts, and his reception, and he factored into 33 plays out of 61 that the Sooners ran. Still over half the time the ball was, uh, the, the offense was going through him, to borrow a basketball term. So, I guess I shouldn't be so surprised, is all I'm, is all I'm getting at. No, and and I kind of, I think I mentioned this to Malcolm uh, Rodriguez. I said, you know, you guys did a pretty good job on Hurts, right? I mean, do you feel that way? And he's like, yeah, you know, there's other guys, but Kennedy Brooks primarily, but at the same time, like, they they game plan the right way, I think, for Jalen. It didn't ever feel like Jalen was just overpowering them like I've seen him do other teams. Um, he ran the ball well, but it wasn't yeah. this unstoppable force that he appeared to be last week against TCU and and other teams. And um, it just they got burned by Kennedy Brooks. Yeah, I mean they 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 sacked Jalen uh, at times. They seemed to keep him hemmed in pretty well. He had the one big one for the touchdown early, and had a couple of times when things broke down. But uh, for the most part, it never really felt like he had uh, just a, a real backbreaking type of play, Jenny. No, I think that's right. You know, and he he had a chance to. There was a, I think it was early in the. Um I was either in the second quarter or early in the third. I'd have to go back in my notes, and I'm driving right now. So I'm not going to go back in my notes just right now. But um, I, uh, I, I know that there was a play that I think Oklahoma State's secondary was, was slow getting set up. They snapped the ball, and CeeDee Lamb essentially ran un- unobstructed straight down the sideline and he knew he was open and about half the stadium knew it was open but Jalen Hurts didn't see him open and they completed a pass but it wasn't a CeeDee Lamb and they had a chance to really break a big one there um it was somewhere in the middle of the game which I think would have really started to put Oklahoma State at arm's length but I think part of the reason why you didn't see Jalen Hurts maybe have the big numbers I think Oklahoma State did a fairly effective job in the secondary I thought they held their own uh you know keeping receivers in check with maybe the exception of that uh of that broken play with with Lamb that didn't end up in his hands but you know I think it's I think this defense is a fairly I mean yes their secondary is much improved and that helps a ton but they're pretty good tackling the ball carrier when it comes to guys that are, are running you know, up the gut or trying to get around the edge. Yeah, they got gashed a little bit by Kennedy Brooks, but um, you know, I think that, that they're going to continue to evolve. I mean, look at all the young guys that, um, you know, whether it's Trace Ford or Israel Antwine, um, Malcolm Rodriguez, uh, you know, Amen Ogbogmamiga, guys that are going to continue to get better and better I think it's just going to – I think we're going to continue to see growth in them. And, um, you know, I think Hertz was efficient, but he was not sort of that dynamic uh, presence that we have seen him at times be. I was, uh, I was surprised in looking at the final stats by, by two different numbers. Uh, the first 
being C.D. Lamb, 36 receiving yards. If it felt like he had a bigger impact than that. I don't know why I thought that. Four catches for 36. I, it just seemed like there was more. I guess uh, he had the 123 yarder that uh, that maybe stuck out a little bit. But um, but then Kennedy Brooks, 22 carries for 160. I really didn't feel like he had that kind of a day. I knew he, he, no. he had found some running room, but it, I did, it didn't feel like a 160-yard type of day. And that was uh, that was uh, impressive and very telling to me whenever I realized that. Yeah, he he didn't have the home runs. Right. I think I think you and I are used to seeing home runs from Chuba when he gets 160. Yeah. You know, and, and there wasn't that play, but he did enough. He had long runs. He moved the chains. Um, he. He looked impressive to me. It just, like I said, it, it goes back to to being pedestrian. That's just kind of what it felt like um, with OSU's defense tonight. They just couldn't get that stop, uh, couldn't get long situations on third down, it felt like. Mm-hmm. I don't have the stats in front of me on that, but it just felt like everything was really th- third and short for OU. Yeah. And it was really hard. it's really hard to stop OU when you got third and short. Six of 11 on third down conversions for Oklahoma. One other thing about Kennedy Brooks, when Oklahoma puts the ball in his hands that much, that oftentimes means less opportunities for fumbles and turnovers because that guy does not lose the ball. I'm sure he has fumbled, and I'm probably forgetting something obvious, but he takes excellent care of the football. Um, you know, and I think too, there's something to be said for a guy that wasn't used a ton at the beginning of the year. I think he's a little fresher than some other running backs. You know, they may not, they may have underutilized him to it to a degree, and maybe that's you know part of why they have one on the uh, loss column. But you know, you look at a guy like Chuba Hubbard. I know we're talking defense, but you know, he put the ball on the ground twice tonight. Something he doesn't do a lot, and I think that you know, this is a guy that has been asked to do a lot I think at some point that starts to be mentally and physically really wearing and you know I think we saw sort of the result of maybe having a fresher back in Kennedy Brooks um, as opposed to you know I think Chuba Hubbard is the more dynamic of the two no doubt about it but where they are right now the two of them in their workload physical exertion for the season I mean it's just it's off the charts for Chuba compared to what Kennedy Brooks has been through. Yeah, it really is. The seeing, seeing Chuba put the ball on the ground twice. Obviously, they didn't lose either one of them. Chuba got one of them back himself, and then uh, Tevin Jenkins jumped on the other. Uh, but that was uh, that's a, uh, a really surprising thing to see from him because he has done a really good job of uh, of taking care of the ball this year. All right, let's uh, let's take another quick break. And uh, come back and let's talk some uh, some bowl possibilities for these uh, eight and four pokes. Coming right back on the Cowboy Chronicles, presented by Zaxby's. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back on the Cowboy Chronicles, presented by Zaxby's. I'm your host, Scott Wright, joined by Jacob Unruh and Jenny Carlson. 
bowl projections will be heavily discussed over the next uh, week, and then um, everything will be nailed down after championship games are uh, are all finished up. But right now, let's uh, let's just uh, let's just do, let's just go uh, one at a time and uh, and throw out a bowl where you think these Cowboys end up at. And then then we'll get into some of the details about uh, what could uh, affect all of those things. But just uh, just start right off the top. Jacob, we'll start with you. Oh man, you would start with me. Uh, I'm gonna throw throw away the camping world. All right. I, I think that one. I don't. I just don't see that one. Um, I'm gonna go with the Texas Bowl. The Texas Bowl in the great city of Houston. I, I just um, the Alamo Bowl is still too iffy for me. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, because it depends on what happens with Baylor and OU both in the playoff scenario, um, and so it just seems logical the Texas Bowl to me. All right, Jenny, what you got? I think I'm gonna. I, I'm I'm like Jacob. I don't think the camping world is likely because it's not so much that OSU hasn't played well enough to play in the camping world. They were there two years ago. To me, that's the biggest thing when you're talking about the most far flung bowl that the Big 12 has a tie-in for. It just feels like they would want to mix it up. Because if you're asking the same fan base to, to go to Orlando, you know, two out of three years, I think you're asking for not very good attendance. Yeah. So I just I have a hard time with that one. I, I still think Alamo is possible because it. I just think it's – possible that Baylor and OU both stay high enough in the rankings that no matter what happens, uh, I think you could see both of them, whether it's a a college football playoff or a New Year's Six, I think you could see both of them taken up by that. And then I think Alamo, OSU was there, what what did we figure out, two years ago? 2016. Yeah, three years ago. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a little quick, uh, especially when you've got some state of texas teams that could be there but you know i, I don't know i scotty you think texas fans be real fired up about the alamo bowl i i can't imagine that they're fired up about much of anything right now <laughs> good point gone so yes Ellinger thinks they are that quote he, i saw floating around yes he he thinks that they uh they would be very happy with the uh, current state of the longhorn program does Rome have a bowl? He said Rome wasn't built in a day. That's Maybe right. they could go play in the first uh, overseas. Well, no, I guess the Bahamas has a bowl. So yeah. anyway, the, now I the ma- Coliseum can't be uh, can't be being used for anything right now, right? Texas, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure the Longhorns feel that they are worthy uh, to be, to play in the Roman Coliseum. <laughs> that seems about up their alley. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, to me. When you're a bowl, you really it comes down to fans. It comes down to how many tickets can you sell, and you know, I, the Alamo will probably if that if what I outlined happens, I think the Alamo Bowl is going to have to figure out what do they think they're what's what's the easier sell? Can they sell more Texas tickets or can they sell more OSU tickets? They might lean towards Texas, but I could. I could definitely see, you know, I think what you guys said is right. I'm not sure Texas fans are fired up about much of anything right now when it comes to their football team. So um, maybe they think OSU is an easier sell sell for tickets. It's all very interesting. I have a feeling, uh, 
I, I really think I think that there's a chance. I think the, the, the Alamo Bowl is, is a possibility, but I ultimately keep coming back to the Texas Bowl and uh, just a, an odd feeling that I have. Uh, I shouldn't say odd. There's no reason for me to not have it, but um, just kind of a gut feeling that I have that Houston is where this team is going to end up, and then you get into some crazy different scenarios about who they could play, uh, all sorts of things like that. Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the interesting things that uh, that could be floating around out there, depending on what happens and who's available when, is the possibility of a Texas Notre Dame Camping World Bowl. Yes, how wild would that be? That would be that would be big time, and that'd be something the Camping World Bowl might try to go after. Yes, and that would open up a spot for Texas Bowl for OSU. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alamo Bowl, I think, too, right? Or, no, Alamo Bowl picks above. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, so, that would uh, the, the Alamo Bowl would have picked by then, which could yeah. be. Uh, that could, could be OSU. Be, uh, yeah, could be Oklahoma State at that point already. But uh, but um, that that bowl matchup yeah, would that uh, bowl would matchup would be me. big time. Um, just on the names alone, yeah, and the draw. Um, Notre Dame fans obviously would show up, and you think Texas fans, I think, would show up to Orlando. Maybe I mean, I. I don't know right now. Who knows? Yeah, you get the hardcore ones no matter where you're at. You know, it, it's interesting if, if let's say let's say Baylor o, OU falls out of the the selection committee's uh, groups, one of them ends up elsewhere. You know, to me that opens up the possibility that you know maybe like we were talking. I think before we started podcasting, things have been said today. I can't remember where they were said, but um, you know, like in Iowa State. You know, Cyclone fans would go down to Orlando, oh, flood, yeah. you know, Disney, and do the do the whole thing. So, you know, a situation like that again, it's all about selling tickets. Once you get past those, you know, selection committee picks, uh, it's not about where you are in the ranking of the Big Twelve. So don't get hung up on that, Cowboy fans. It's really about the Bulls and how they feel like they can best sell their tickets. So, um, you know, if, if, if you see Baylor OU in the non, uh, you know, New Year's Six or playoff situation, that opens up a whole different scenario because then Baylor, you know, they look enticing for a lot of different people. OU would obviously be enticing for a lot of different people. Um, you know, Baylor because of the Texas roots, Oklahoma because of the name brand. So then, it, you know, then who knows? Who knows where they all fall? So, I, yeah, I think there are a lot of options right now. I don't think Texas, the Texas Bowl is necessarily a bad one. Houston's a huge alumni area for Oklahoma State. Um, when was the last time they were there? It's probably been at least five or six years, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's got to be. I can't think off the top of my head of the last time they were in, in Houston. Uh, it's been, a, it's been a, a good little while. So I would think, you know, it used to be a huge recruiting hotspot for them. It hasn't, uh, hasn't quite been the same uh, over the last few years, but um, still an important place in the, uh, in the, in the Big 12 uh, footprint for, for Oklahoma State to be. So um, that would be a, a good landing spot for them. So um, now some of the things that uh, for Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State fans wondering, kind of what to monitor to sort of figure out where these things are going to go. Obviously, the college football playoff rankings being announced on uh, Tuesday will be the first sign that gives you an idea of, of how things are going to start to play out. Won't know anything for sure until uh, until you know who wins uh, on in championship games next Saturday. But, uh, you know, where Oklahoma and Baylor are ranked is going to be the, uh, the important thing to watch because 
you know, whether one of them gets into the playoff or not, well, whether Oklahoma gets into the playoff or not, uh, is uh, is highly dependent on uh, you know who's ahead of them and who wins and loses. So it's either uh, a Big 12 team gets in the playoff and then the other goes to the Sugar Bowl, or they both stay in the top 10 and get into both New Year's Six Bowls uh, with one in the Sugar and one as an at-large. Uh, that would be the, uh, the the first domino that falls, and then that leaves the Alamo Bowl with uh, with its selection of the rest of the league first off the uh, off the top of the list, then the Camping World Bowl, then the Houston Bowl. Then Liberty and Cheez-Its and uh, and uh, Armed Forces bowls. After that, um, I don't see I don't see Oklahoma State falling into the Liberty Cheez-It uh, range. I think they're uh, safely above that level at that point. Um, but that's uh, that's sort of, that's the first thing to watch. And then uh, then like everybody else, just we'll, we'll all be paying attention to what happens with the other championship games and how things are going to play out and, and finish up this season. But, um, you know, Mike Gundy touched on this a little bit, talked about how disappointing this loss was today and, uh, and uh, you know, that they, uh, that they needed to coach and play better. Uh, but overall, uh, he has uh, a really strong respect for what his team did this season. We'll kind of, we'll kind of close it up there, Jacob, but, uh, the way this team bounced back from uh, from what seemed to be a, a season that was heading south fast was uh, was pretty impressive. Yeah, um, I kind of mentioned earlier the defense started that, but I think this team just kind of grew up. Um, very young. We've talked about that. A lot of a lot of guys coming back. You lose one starter on the defense. Um, I mean, obviously you could lose Chuba and Tylen to the NFL, uh, mm-hmm. but not a lot really lost on the offense either. A couple of linemen. Um, lose Matt Amendola at kicker but this team was so inexperienced it grew up really fast um I still go back to I'd be curious what happens if they had a rematch with Texas or or played Texas later in the season yeah I think coming off the uh non-conference schedule with a first-year quarterback and new offensive coordinator still kind of hampered them going down to Austin yeah um but play them a week later maybe or even two weeks later you know I think OSU wins that game and we got a whole different season anyways at that point but um that's really what stood out to me. That team just grew up. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. And uh, Texas Tech game, another one that I'm sure they'd they'd like to have yeah. back. But uh, but Jenny, to bounce back the way they did, um, a lot to be proud of in uh, in OSU land. I think. Yeah, you know, I mean, think about where they were late in that game against Baylor. I mean, they're on the cusp of potentially beating Baylor, and mm-hmm. you know, then to completely fall apart at the end lose by what they lose by 20 something that uh, night? 40, yeah 45 27 i mean just just to 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 really make it get completely out of hand you thought okay you know where what's going to happen here you know with uh at that point they're four and three they were four and three the year before um they won some games you didn't necessarily think they were supposed to win quote unquote down the stretch to get to where they got but you know, it, it felt like the it felt like the momentum was not trending in a really good way for them. It just it, it felt like there were, you know, they just kept making mistakes. And were they learning from it? And were they actually going to get better? Was you know, was there going to be a learning curve that might actually get them out of where they were? And you know, then they you know you look at winning at Iowa State and beating K State, beating a good. I mean, look at a K State team that. 
took it to Oklahoma a few weeks later, and they held him to 13 points. So, I mean, there was it was it was really impressive to see them start to figure out who they were and what they could do. I think the defense is where it all started. Jim Knowles and that group after, you know, a rough year and a half almost to really kind of start to get their their bearings about them and realize that they could play some good defense in this league, what they were all about. Um, you know, it they they could be they could be where TCU is right now, guys. I mean, they could right. easily be in a situation where they weren't going bowling. They were they were in that. I mean, yes, you thought okay, they're going to beat Kansas, um, but other than that, at four and three, was there anybody you thought yeah for sure they're going to go beat that team? Wasn't it? There weren't any for sure's other than Kansas at that point, and Kansas no. had played some played decently at that point, and you thought well, maybe that's a toss up game. So. To, to come through the last five, four and one, yes, it's disappointing to lose Bedlam for Cowboys everywhere, but uh, a four and one record after sitting four and three, that was way better than I thought they were trending towards. I uh, would fully agree. And uh, with that, I think that's a good spot to wrap up this episode of the Cowboy Chronicles. We will be back next week with, uh, with more, talk some recruiting, talk some, uh, some other things, keep an eye on this bowl situation and what, what direction things might go there. We'll, of course, have uh, our mailbag segment, so fire away those end-of-season questions for us there as well. So uh, we appreciate all of you listening throughout the season, and and we will uh, continue to bring you all your Oklahoma State coverage on the Cowboy Chronicles, which, as always, is presented by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast.